What should we talk about in the intro? Well, I think we should uh, give it... I, I like that we do it after the interview, because then we know what's set up. That's true, yeah. Um... about classic music videos do you want to talk okay. about classic music videos sure which classic music video well i'm trying to th- i'm you know lately on the podcast and the site we've been talking about lots of new music videos and there's so much awesome stuff going on in music videos right now but i there's there's such a great and storied history of music videos to sort of get into and we'll get into that in in future podcasts but I've been sort of spending a few hours over the past uh, few days looking at sort of these different magazines and blogs, top 50 or top 100 videos of all time. And I'm ch- thinking in terms of, of iconic videos, Doug, iconic okay. music videos. Okay. If you had to pick them, if you had to pick your, the most iconic music video of all time, just off the top of your head, I didn't prep you for this at all for the people listening. What, right. what would that be? Um, God, I'd say it would be a, it would be a toss up between either um, Sabotage by mm-hmm. Beastie Boys, or uh, I'm pretty sure um, it's got to be Sabotage because I think it's I think it's Weapon of Choice, which is the song with Christopher Walken dancing. Yes, but uh, uh, I wasn't positive about that, and because of my um, not being clear on whether or not that was the right song. Um, Sabotage wins by default. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Sabotage, Beastie Boys. That's a great video. And actually, it, that's one that is sort of the one, I, I guess, one of the precursors of Ryan McNeil's video f- for Grums Through the Night. It's a uh, Yeah, I'd say it's a precursor to a, a lot of videos. It is, and if you haven't seen it, it's sort of this over-the-top cop, whoops, cop music video. And to, to say Spike, that Spike Jones, Spike Jones, who it has a bit of a name in music videos, so I hear. But it's yeah, director Spike Jones in 1994. So that's that's sort of that's kind of a golden age of music videos. When you say the sort of the, the 90s, I remember a lot of the new music videos coming around that around that out around that time. Yeah, really it seems had that like special quality. It seems like uh, whenever um, you know somebody makes reference to like back when music videos were big, they always say Spike Jones and Michelle Gondry who make videos at the same time. Uh, you know what? They're they're the trend of those videos is a budget. Wait, say that again. Your your internet's busted. No, yeah, it is my internet's. This series of tubes is not working properly. Uh, what am I saying again? Start. Should I start over from the top? Uh, sabotage, BC Boys is my is my most iconic video. No, 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 not, no, not I, bad. I, I, I know, I know. What I'm saying is the trend is a bit is a big budget. 
Well, back then, back then, because that back then, you know, MTV played the music video, so That's you would get, I mean, yes. you would get, like, um, some of some of these videos, like, um, the Meatloaf video that uh, Bad Out of Hell, Bad Out of Hell. That um, no, 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 it was, I think it was I'll I do anything for love. Um, who who directed that? Michael Bay. Michael Bay used to direct music videos, and they were awful the, the the i would do anything for love music videos actually just because it's so goofy and sort of iconic is is great but um they used to, and the i think the 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 record for the biggest budget ever for a music video is the michael jackson latoya <laughs> yeah might well, no michael jackson and janet jackson's video for scream which i think the budget came in at, at seven million dollars and that was directed by mark romanek um Obviously, you don't Which get... Which, to me, is ridiculous. I feel like that video now could be achieved on such a smaller budget. Yeah, I mean, looking at it, it's nothing crazy fancy. I mean, I think they had to film a few weightless scenes in one of those airplanes that just takes a nosedive, which sounds like a real fun environment to film in. But... <laughs> yeah, that's not tough at all. Yeah, no, that's really... With Michael freaking Jackson, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man. But, I, I mean... I, in, in all honesty, yeah, we're, I think it, it'd be it'd be really uh, great to kind of figure out a sort of eras of music videos when we're talking about these things because I can I can pick out or in my mind you know different music video eras. I mean, starting in the '70s when um, you know their music videos, like people like ABBA were doing music videos, who, which are some of the most hilariously awful music videos I've ever seen in my life. If you want to see. Just like people trying to figure out how to make music videos and just <laughs> failing awfully, you have to see Abba's video um, for money, 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 however money is there is in the title, or um, uh, take a chance on me. They're just awful. And then you sort of get into the the '80s thing where people are starting to uh, do more interesting things, and there and you know we have MTV come along, and there's much more of a of a place for uh, people to you know exhibit those music videos. More people are seeing MTV in their homes, so you're seeing you know really interesting things like um, Peter Gabriel's Sledgehammer video. Um, and then you get into sort of the early 90s where MTV is just exploded and, you know, they ha- they run a mix of programming of um, things that, I mean, I know I was watching as a kid, like the Tom Green show. Um, and then they were also playing music videos and most people, in, or at least most people I knew, got MTV2, which just played all these music videos. So you had things like um, R.E.M.'s Losing My Religion, you know, a lot of great Smashing Pumpkins videos. Um, you also had things like, um, what is that one? Like, these are the, some of the, the classic Bjork videos coming out of that time. You one also of, got all the bad videos, and they would play those on Beavis and Butthead. Exactly, yeah. Oh, my God, I remember those. Those are So like they would still get traction out of the out of the shit. Oh, and you can still get Beavis and Butthead, Butthead on Netflix. So that's a great way to, Does like... It have- because here's something that is actually pretty interesting. It kind of goes, uh, kind of goes with what you're saying. Um, does Beavis and Butthead still have the music videos in it on DVD? Because I think it's just compilation of the of the bits of the like storylines. Is it? I'll have to I'll have to check. Because when you buy Daria, it's got all new music in it. Really? 
And there's even a, like a little insert in the DVD package uh, apologizing that all the 90s music is not in there. <laughs> I swear, I swear. It's like, it's like the first thing you may notice when you watch Daria is that all the 90s music is gone. It's like, that's because we can't afford it. It's like literally like very upfront like that. It's like we... It doesn't. It doesn't talk like it, me, but it. It is like basically like you, we can't afford it. We didn't consider DVDs in the early '90s, and uh, so here's this shitty fucking stock music. Put that. <laughs> enjoy, enjoy Daria. For the listeners who haven't heard, Beavis and Butthead was a really great show, you guys. For listen, yeah, highly re- highly recommend. And the movie, and the movie Beavis and Butthead Do America. Didn't we see that together in the theaters and like the? I, I mean. <laughs> Uh, like I definitely saw it in the theaters. It definitely came out, um, when we were in middle school and, uh, yeah. So I would, I would go with yes. Probably. We also saw Kazam in the theaters. Yeah, we did. And, and Austin Powers. So we didn't see all bad movies. Oh yeah, yeah. That's true. But I remember we had to go to this like, like theater that was just like falling apart. The only one that my parents would, would take us to because this is great for our listeners. (laughs) Honestly, when Isaac listens to this podcast uh, to hear it for his interview, and he's gonna be like, "Oh shit, I got set up by a fucking movie story about, about Doug going Doug going going to the movies with Adam when they were in middle school." Oh my god, this is gonna be great. podcast today uh we have the pleasure of talking to mr isaac rents who is a really fantastic uh music video director and i highly recommend searching for his name on the site and checking out uh all of if not some of uh his music videos or sorry some of if not all of his music videos before listening to the uh, listening to the podcast you can get a little bit of taste of of what uh what you're about to hear. Um, Why don't you just go ahead and watch all of them? Yeah, go ahead and watch all of them, definitely, because they're they're great bands and they're great music videos. And uh, Isaac is uh, started out as a graphic designer and moved his way into music video directing. And um, uh, this is a fantastic interview because he has some really great thoughts on um, band participation in music videos. He um he has some really great stories about getting you know into the music video business and sort of, um, because he his even though he's he's a young guy um he his music video career has spanned you know smaller bands um to, from just a few years ago in two thousand seven um and his recent video, um like our segue um so perfectly frames had Topher Grace in it because it was the music video for. Uh, Atomic Tom's "Don't You Want Me" for the new uh, uh, movie "Take Me Home Tonight," starring Anna Faris and uh, Topher Grace. So, um, anyway, this is uh, Isaac Rents, and uh, let's check it out. Well, my name's Isaac Rents. Uh, I've been directing music videos and commercials for about three or four years now. Well, well probably three, like, full-time. Um, and uh, I live in Los Angeles, uh, and and uh, this podcast is off to a really bad start. 
You no, know, well, well, actually, you know, we've been we've been checking around for you on the internet, and with every with every web page, we find some more interesting stuff about you. Because, and actually, one thing people might find interesting right off the bat is you're actually from Japan. All you're 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 raised in Tempe. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, I was born in Japan. Um, I lived there for about three or four years, and then um, I was really raised in Arizona. Um, and I moved out to Los Angeles about five or six years ago, um, just wanting, wanting to do music videos and stuff like that. Um, so I really haven't been, been in Los Angeles too long. And, uh, you actually, you're the first music video director of actually, I think we've come across that sort of has a background in graphic design. Um, cause I know you, you worked at, you know, several, uh, independent record labels doing, you know, graphic design for bands for for cover albums and 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 things like that and you you said you wanted to to do music videos in los angeles how was how was that kind of a a transition for you was it always you know your goal to eventually do music videos or or did you kind of you know get into it by by being in the music industry well you know I, i actually never thought i'd be doing any of this stuff when i was in college i got a history degree Um, I was going to Arizona, um, I'm sorry, Northern Arizona university in Flagstaff. And, um, I, you know, I needed like a a job just to pay for college. And, um, I started doing graphic design because I had a copy of Photoshop and I thought I knew how to design and I kind of did. Um, I don't even know if I'd call what I did like designing. It was so ghetto, um, in almost (laughs) every way, but, um, you know, I just found myself doing stuff and, and the, the real way that I got into doing all this was, um, out of nowhere, um, some bands and some band managers started to like contact me on the internet. I had like a web page where I would just make sort of, um, stupid t-shirt designs and stuff like that. Um, and this band manager hit me up out of nowhere and asked me if I wanted to design some merchandise for their band. And then little by little, that kept turning into different stuff. And then the band really liked working with me. And it turned into like a situation where they were like, well, hey, do you want to direct a music video for us? And it just kind of kept like one thing kept leading to another. And the next thing I knew when I graduated college, I didn't want to do anything with my history degree, which is actually really useful because you can't do anything with a history degree. <laughs> I ended up with a job at an independent record label in Huntington beach called fearless records. Um, and they, they had some acts like at the drive in and, um, plain white tees and stuff like that. And, um, it was just like the only job that I could find in the music business at the time. And it was for graphic design. And while I was there, um, I saved every penny that I made and I would put it towards convincing bands that I would meet and letting me shoot music videos for them. And, um, over the course of the two years that I spent at different record labels, I probably spent like $10,000, um, and on just, you know, all kinds of different music video projects. And I, I didn't really have any money to begin with either. I mean, I was sleeping on people's couches to get by and, um, you know, really like totally living paycheck to paycheck, but like seriously just eating ramen noodles all the time. So I could make really low budget music videos for bands. And and the reason they'd let me do it is because I'd go, I'd come to them and I just say like, Hey, I'll make a music video for you guys. There's no risk involved. You don't have to come up with a budget or anything. I'll pay for it myself. And, um, 
you know, the bands who, who let me do that, you know, hopefully it did some good stuff for them. But by the end of, you know, two or three years, I built enough of a reel to start talking to some production companies. And anyway, that's sort of the short or long version of, of how I got into it all, which I don't know if that's like a real normal way for music video directors to do it. I feel like all of my friends who direct music videos have gotten into it in like really weird ways. There's totally not a path or like no, definitely. Yeah. You know? yeah, it's 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 interesting that you uh, that you say you know you started in the music industry. Like, do you see do you see the act you know kind of making music videos as as being a part of the music vi- um, the music industry more so than it is a part of the film industry? Um, well, the one main way that it's really connected to the music industry is that like our budgets. Um, and our, then the acts that we work with are all a function of what's going on in the music industry right now. I was just talking to a friend of mine a couple of days ago and we were like kind of lamenting about the fact that there aren't a lot of huge alternative rock bands right now. Um, because traditionally in music videos, those are the bands that are kind of looking for something that's a little quirkier or a little bit more interesting from a like directorial standpoint. Not to say that like pop videos or urban videos can't be that, but just traditionally that's where that kind of stuff comes from. And, you know, it's, it's mainly because in the music industry right now, that music isn't quite selling as well. And um, so that's one way in that like my job is almost completely dependent on like what, what is going on in music videos. And I mean, luckily we aren't doing just music videos too. Like I, you know, every now and then we'll get a commercial job or we'll get some sort of, you know, um, TV opportunity or something like that. But in terms of music video stuff, like, you know, I, I do catch myself like reading the billboard top 100 or, you know, looking at stuff like that just to kind of see where everything's going. Um, I don't know if other music video directors do that. I try not to talk about it too much cause it's kind of nerdy, but, um, <laughs> it's like my job every day is to make bands interesting and their songs more appealing and and stuff like that so it's definitely tied in with the music industry and uh you know i mean we we use the same crews as as film stuff and you know obviously like some of the same equipment but yeah i guess in some ways we are like kind of a part of the industry now for the first videos that you were sort of going to bands and saying you know hey you know, let me make a music video, basically. Um, is that sort of the era of, you know, the video for the Hot Rod Circuit and, you know, Rosie and the Gold Bug and th- those music videos, or, or is that earlier? Yeah, no, it was like around there. Um, and we, I don't know how we were doing it. And and when I say we, I mean my producing partner, Steve Buchanan, who's, who's basically produced everything I've ever done. Um, he's a friend of mine from Arizona. He moved out here when I started making music videos. But when we first started doing it, I mean, uh, that Hot Rod Circuit video, I don't even know how we did it. We shot it for like $10 million. Or I'm, I'm sorry, $10,000. $10 million <laughs> perfect. Uh, $10,000 we shot it on film. We shot it over like four days. There were tons of locations. Like we were just totally killing ourselves to get stuff done, and, and we were probably totally killing the crews and everything too. And, um, and we were shooting all that stuff in Arizona too, which is way cheaper. Locations are more readily available, stuff like that. So that was a big part of those initial videos was just also like us kind of figuring out how to make a music video. But the, uh, the video for the hot rod circuit stateside, which I highly recommend because it is, it, it does look like, 
you guys were killing yourselves because it, it looks so you know physically complicated it's uh, and, if, and if you haven't seen the video you know the band members are all sort of conjoined twins and they're doing things as conjoined twins uh, i mean what was were you a little nervous sort of taking on projects of of that kind of complexity early on uh well this was at a time where i was still you know figuring out how to direct things i was kind of like faking my way through it and um <laughs> You know, a lot of the directors that who did music videos that I kind of admired at the time, um, I didn't know a lot of them by by name, but um, like guys like Spike Jones and Michelle Gondry, they were always doing stuff that looked like it was really complicated, and that was like part of the fun for me in watching them. And I think what I didn't realize at the time is that they had huge budgets, and it wasn't just <laughs> that they were geniuses, but they also had um, what it took in order to, to make those things really happen. And, um, so that was part of the, the learning process for me too. Like in that video towards the end, we had to actually chop down, uh, 80 foot pine tree, um, in the middle of a forest in oh, uh, Arizona. And, and to me, I was like, well, I've seen stuff like that in music videos and commercials before. Um, you know, I was like 22 or 23 at the time <laughs> and I had no idea. And I was like, yeah, we can totally make that happen. And I don't know how he did it, but, um, Steve, my producer made it happen. But, you know, it, I think, um, one of the, the hardest lessons, especially right now with where the music video industry is at, where, you know, the economy's at is figuring out how to do stuff like that. But, to do it on a small budget and to do it in ways that aren't quite as risky. And when you say um, uh, risky, I mean, what what are do things like that? Do you mean something that has, you know, an impact in terms of you know either online views or you know people talking about it and passing it around, or or more of like an artistic impact? Uh, well, I mean, risky. Then this is probably the most boring way of looking at it, but risky in terms of like, can we actually pull it off? Mm -hmm. Because I think, um, you know, like I always want to do ideas that people will talk about. I always want to do ideas that are like, you know, extremely challenging for me. And I feel like we've been successful at doing that, but you know, it's a risk for the record label and for the band when they hire a director to make a music video for them. Um, you know, they're kind of putting they're, the band's putting their career in your hands. If they, if you come out with a really great music video for them, it might do great things. If you, you know, make a really horrible video and none of it turns out right, it could be like, you know, a, a really bad thing for their career. And I would hate to do that to a band. So I'm always, you know, trying to find things that we can for sure pull off. And so the day of the, of the shoot, we aren't like, Hey, we just, you know, flushed a bunch of your money down the toilet. <laughs> Sorry about that. You know, <laughs> Cause I, I mean, that is one of the things about music videos. Like, um, we hear stories about that all the time about, well, this director came up with a really great idea. It was something that had never been done before. It totally, you know, it's Michelle Gondry esque or whatever. And then, they weren't quite able to pull it off for the budget or, you know, when they finally put it together in the edit, it didn't come out right or something like that. So there is like an inherent risk in trying things that are more complicated, which is probably a reason why a lot of music videos are just like a band playing in a warehouse or something like that. Um, cause it's simple to do and it's easy and it's been done a million times and you know, you can pull that off for the budget. So like the, the thing that I'm always trying to do with music videos is find a way to like come up with like really crazy ideas or come up with something that's really interesting to look at, but then to also like make sure that it's something that we can like really do and, and really pull off in, in an awesome way. You, you also take a risk when you come up 
that uh, excuse me, you also take a risk when you uh, come up with these complicated ideas that the band is going to be able to pull it off. Is that, are they considered before you come up with a kind of a really complex idea that requires the band to pull off, you know, you know, con- being a conjoined twin or, you know, reenacting <laughs> a, a Sylvester Stallone movie? Is that something that you have to consider first before you come up with those ideas? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that the best music videos are usually for the bands who want the best music videos. I think some bands look at it as, look at a music video as just like one of five or six different things they're going to do to market their album or whatever, and they don't take it very seriously, and they just kind of show up. I mean, I've been in situations like that where the band will show up the day of the shoot, and they'll be like, what are we doing again? Like, they haven't even like, <laughs> read the idea. They don't, You know, they're like, I'm doing what? And then there are other bands like um, Cage the Elephant, is a really good example it's a band that i've worked with three times now where the lead singer is so involved like we'll we'll spend all night on the phone talking about an idea we'll go over it for hours and hours and hours and he'll call me out of nowhere and be like oh what if we did this or you know um just coming up with stuff like all the time all the way up until the day of the shoot and then being there the day of the shoot like he he wants the video to be as good as I do. Um, usually I feel like I'm the one who cares the most and, and on shoots with that band in particular, Cage the Elephant, they're just so enthusiastic about making really good stuff. And I think that that really does help to, um, you know, it makes sure that their performances are really good, but it it also just kind of helps overall. Like they really care. And I think it sounds funny. Like you think, Oh, this is a professional band. They're on a major record label. Like, of course they would care about their music video, but you know, I'd say it's like 50, 50 most of the time. You just never know. So if you have a band that really is like totally down for making an amazing music video and really invested in it, that is like a super helpful thing that a music video director can't really take for granted. You find that bands like that, um, are, are, are more or less willing to defer to you as the director of the video. You know, a lot of times it's a band and it's their video and they want to, you know, be the directors themselves too. Do you find that the bands that are really enthusiastic um, also are able to, you know, kind of see that, that, that order there? Yeah. Most of the time there are times where, I I mean, I think every video you kind of have to like win over the trust of the band a little bit. Like you have to, they have to be able to see that you're going to make good decisions, that you're going to work really hard, stuff like that. There was one situation last year where um, I was talking with a band, and I won't say who, but they were so intent on doing their own idea. Um, and, and you know, sometimes that just happens, and I'll go with it. And I look at my job then is to, like, take their idea and turn it into something that's, like, really great. Um, but they were so involved in every tiny little detail and every aspect of the video that – you know, I finally just kind of had to like throw up my hands and, and sort of like take a step back and, and put it in their hands just because it looked like it wasn't going to to work with me. You know, I mean, I didn't completely check out, but I kind of had to be like, I'm not going to get my vision across in this video. And that's fine. And that's just the way it's going to be, because, you know, some of those battles, like you can fight them a little bit and some of them like it's just not completely worth it to do that. So the video actually ended up happening. Yeah, it ended up happening. I think I kind of found out a little too late that they were sort of of that mindset. And and sometimes, you know, sometimes it really does work. Sometimes a band will have great ideas, and when they come to you with them, they're willing to compromise on certain things. And um, 
sometimes those ideas are great. This band in particular had awful ideas. Um, they wanted to make like a, a video that I felt wasn't interesting and, and was really cheesy. So, you know, it's not on my reel. I'll tell you that, um, <laughs> but it's, um, it's something that still got made. And, and that's part of it too. Like when it comes down to it, I, like it's my job, like, Sometimes I like to think of myself as an artist, but, you know, this is, like, also the way that I make my living. And, um, you know, it's – sometimes it's not quite as glamorous, I guess. I'm looking at I, – I, sorry. Uh, at some um, later point in the interview, I'm going to say, like, I really love this music video, and it's going to be that music video. So just, <laughs> so just like, tug your ear if it's that one. Um, no, it, it's it's <laughs> – it's something that like I totally took my name off of, so oh, okay. I, I don't even think anybody can look it up online and, and see that it's connected to me. Uh, we need so. we need to have it on filmed insert though. We have we have we we strive for completeness <laughs> for completeness. Oh man! And um, well, actually, well, speaking of sort of different uh, individual music videos, I thought we could talk about um, talk about a few of them in in the canon, so to speak. Um, cool. And one of them that that Doug and I are really big fans of because it's just such a you know, fantastic sort of like almost mesmerizing, you know, interesting and also like really humorous video is the Manchester Orchestra Shake It Out video. And if, you know, it's not really apparent when you watch the video, but um, I'll link to it in the podcast show notes. There is a great director's commentary where you talk about the beginnings of it. And you mentioned that it is based on the 1987 movie Over the Top with Sylvester Sloan. <laughs> and I'd just like to read the IMDb short blurb of that. And it's uh, Lincoln Hawk is a struggling trucker who's trying to rebuild his life. After the death of his wife, he tries to make amends with his son, who he left behind years earlier. Upon their first meeting, his son doesn't think too highly of him until he enters the nationwide arm wrestling competition competition in Las Vegas. Now, I guess the question that pops to mind is, how? First of all, where does where do you go from sort of this cult '80s movie with Sylvester <laughs> Stallone that you know 99% of the population hasn't heard of and think? We're not even only going to remake it, but we're going to remake it in music video form. Were you a big fan of that film, or did somebody else suggest it? <laughs> uh, you know, I saw that movie. I think that movie was like on TNT nonstop when I was growing up. <clears throat> but I didn't have cable, so I never saw it growing up. And um, when I got to college, all my friends had seen it, and I'd never even heard of it. And um, it is totally like one of those classic, like so bad that it's good kind of cult 80s movies and um i remember watching it and being really mesmerized by it and, and in sort of an ironic way but also like it's a very sincere movie and um there's something that's kind of like sweet about how simple it is and i mean this dude is solving all of his life problems by arm wrestling and <laughs> there's it's almost like it's like a film written by like a, a 15 year old who's just kind of starting to understand how the world works. And like, he's, you know, like who would ever even think that there is such a thing as like a world, like competition for arm wrestling where there's <laughs> like, it's as big as like WWF and there's like millions of screaming fans and like huge prize at stake. Like, you know, all that stuff's just so like, um, I don't know. It's just so, there's there's something ridiculous about it and kind of sincere and cool about it too, and I don't want to like philosophize too much here. I don't know if philosophize is a word either, but um, it is, it is on this podcast. Okay, cool. Thanks, guys. But um, <laughs> you know, I I really loved 
Um, it was a movie I ended up watching a lot. My friend got it for me on DVD and I would just kind of throw it in like late night and, and just kind of chuckle. And, um, I think like when I first heard that Manchester orchestra song, they said they wanted to try something that was kind of funny because I guess in the past they had done stuff that was a little bit more serious and they didn't want to get pegged as a band that only did serious music videos. And, um, you know, it was actually a treatment that I had pitched to someone else before and they said it was too far out there, but I thought, man, I really want to do this idea. And, and just listening to the song, I was like, I think we could do something really cool with it. And, and watching the video now, like I'm so happy because I think not only is it kind of funny, it has some humorous moments, but like, especially towards the end, like I, I really feel like it kind of captures that like sincerity and like, there is something sort of beautiful about him winning that, really stupid competition and getting his son back and winning the girl and all that stuff. And, um, I don't know. We had a really fun time with that music video. It was, it was a really fun one to make. I think, I think a lot of where that, that sincerity comes from is from the performance of, of Ryan Hull because that he was, uh, I think that that's kind of what carries it. The whole, the whole, like he's super, like you couldn't have asked for a better, uh, band member who's an actor. Uh, oh, yeah, the lead singer, Andy. Oh, Andy Hole. No, yeah, yeah. I said, uh, wait, hold on, Andy Hole. Adam's going to fix that in post. <laughs> Dude, you guys have so much to fix in post. This is me. It's going to be like a five-minute interview. Um, the uh, Yeah, you know, he was great. And it was kind of like an interesting story from that is that um, that was a two-day shoot. And at the end of the first day of shooting, he, he takes – like some medications for different things. And he like lost his medication and we were somewhere in, in Nashville. And, um, he was like, he was very kind of like emotional and a little upset the next day. And, um, it it really comes through in the performance. Like when you watch it, like he, uh, he's giving like probably one of the most like emotional, um, performances in a music video. Um, and, like there were scenes that would end with him like kind of tearing up and stuff. And I was like, geez, this is like totally ridiculous, but it came out so awesome on, you know, in the edit. And, um, he was one of those guys who totally invested his whole self into making sure that that music video turned out great. And, yeah, I think um, that, that phone booth scene, I think I probably start tearing up when, uh, <laughs> it's just really, yeah, you're right. He's and the great cool. thing is if you haven't seen the movie, you have no clue what they're talking about. Or, yeah, or that's I, the best part. I think, like, if you go to, like, YouTube and, like, read the comments and stuff, some people are like, oh, yeah. Like, I, I, there's probably, like, a generational thing there where, like, older people will see it and be like, oh, yeah, it's awesome. Sylvester Stallone, over the top. And then other people who are just like, mm, I don't think this really goes with the lyrics. But, okay. <laughs> you know, like, um, so I think we might have confused some younger fans who are yet to have seen the criterion collection release of over the top but <laughs> which there um, is one <laughs> oh there will be someday i'm sure <laughs> but uh, you know i think that's part of the the fun of it too is that if if you haven't seen it it still is just like a, a really fun story and i don't know we have some goofy fun with it and i don't know it, it's it, when i look back at it it was probably one of the most fun music videos to actually make uh, just because we had so much fun with the performances uh speaking of sort of a intense kind of emotional music video uh 
out of you know the music videos you've done, I think the one that stands out to me is the Cage the Elephant Shake Me Down video. Um, and if you haven't seen it, I I encourage everybody to go check it out because it it I think it's it's one of the only ones in your your catalog that really is you know pretty much a straight you know I would I hesitate to call it sentimental, but it really goes for a more of an emotional impact. Was that something that that you were you know interested in in doing, or was that um, something that the band band was sort of putting up as a as sort of a prerequisite for for making the video? <laughs> Yeah, you know, that's an interesting one for me. I think, you know, right around the time I did the Manchester Orchestra video, I started to realize that, um, I mean, I really love making music videos that are funny or just kind of um, have like sort of a an interesting twist or something like that. But I think I really enjoy like watching music videos that aren't afraid to be kind of sincere in that way. One of my favorite music video directors um, over the last couple of years has been Chris Milk who has done some really great work. He did like a, he did a couple of the first Kanye West videos and um, he's done all kinds of cool stuff since then. And his, his stuff's always been like really, um, it's always like been so brave, I think, because it's right on that edge of like, if you push it too far, it gets sappy. And I, I feel like he's so good at, at finding just the right tone to make a music video that actually sort of resonates emotionally. And I felt after I did the Manchester Orchestra video, like it wasn't my intent for that to be um, anything but just kind of fun. And towards the end, like in the edit, like I was like, oh my gosh, like, uh, you know, I'm getting chills like watching some of these scenes. Um, and I, I wanted to like kind of develop that side of of what I can do as a director more, and so I think in the project since then, um, that's come out, and I think that shake me down video was a really good opportunity for me to explore that more too, because you know honestly you don't get a lot of opportunities in music videos to write an idea that is kind of that serious. I mean that's a music video that's about um, a, a guy like. Um, basically seeing his whole life flash before his eyes before he dies and in the end he really dies uh spoiler alert um Mm. but like that's you know that's really going out on a limb um if you're the band to put out something like that that's kind of like a bummer or whatever you know like whatever i'm sure their record label is saying about the video (laughs) but i think it really resonated with fans and and it's cool it really gave me an opportunity to do something where you know, I'm proud of it as like a dramatic piece too. I think it's shot really well. We had a really good time with the art direction, but I mean, we spent a lot of time on those performances and, um, you know, we cast some really cool actors. We shot that on location in, um, a little town outside of Nashville. And I mean, there are scenes in there where, you know, it's not often you get to like shoot a, like a realistic death scene for a music video or something like that. And so that was a great, opportunity to kind of like flex that side a little bit more of what I can do as a director. And a lot of that comes again from the band, like allowing me to, you know, try something a little risky. And and that's my third video for Cage the Elephant. I don't know if I could have done that on my first video with them. Like it required so much trust, I think, to, to do something like that, that it only could have come after having like a real like relationship with them as a band. And how did that relationship develop, develop? Was it, was it just a, a process of, you know, for the first, I think it was back against the wall was the back against the wall was the first video. And then after that, they just kept coming back to you and it develops like that. Is that, is that sort of how, you know, you know, we actually, Doug and I talk a lot about sort of great, uh, um, 
you know, partnerships between bands and music video directors and how that can really improve the product over time. Is that, do you see it sort of developing like that? Is that how it developed with you and Cage the Elephant? Yeah, definitely. I, I think one of the hardest parts about my job is, is pitching ideas. Um, and I feel like I can pitch ideas that are a little more out there if I already have a relationship with the band. You know, if it's just like... Um, I get something from a record label and they're like, here's a brand new band. They need a cool idea. Come up with one. I've maybe never even heard of the band before. It's difficult for me to like, um, pitch something to them that, that maybe does kind of go into like riskier territory just because they don't know who I am. I mean, I could be like a complete weirdo, um, (laughs) pitching and, you know, pitching an idea to them. Uh, or like you know a lot of times it can come down to like sensibilities like a sense of humor or something like that like if a band maybe doesn't completely get my sense of humor yet or something like that or there's just you know there's only so much you can communicate in like a five page script with a couple images put into it so for like cage the elephant like the last two videos i've done for them um, the lead singer will just call me and be like, Hey, it's time to make a music video. Uh, what do you want to do? You know, or he'll have some ideas and be like, what do you think of these? Um, and that's just, it's just such a better way of making things in general. And there's no other way that you can do that without already having a, a prior relationship with the band. Yeah, I know. That seems like it would be really, really freeing. And, and, and that definitely makes a lot of sense. Um, and on the, on the other side of that, and I, the one one that we wanted to mention quickly, because uh, I think it's sort of one of those videos that, uh, and I, and again, you you have such a varied, you know, catalog of music videos. This one kind of airs on the side of you know a little bit more like the viral, kind of viral internet music video, which is the Pistol Youth in My Eyes video. And if you haven't seen it, it is the entire video is clips of the Golden Girls, the TV show from the eighties and nineties, with uh, faces of the band members, sort of grafted on to the golden girls and more specifically with that you know you look at a video like that and you see you see the editing and you see sort of the visual effects work that goes into that where does where does sort of the direction come into a video like that um well you know i should say that so much of that video's um execution came from um our really good friend dave torno who's just like an incredible genius when it comes to post effects and he donated like two months of his life to getting uh that band's face all over um <laughs> the golden girls in every scene i mean it, it like i've seen people try that stuff before and and seen people try it since and and it, it really like it just comes down to like how awesome dave was with pulling those effects off um, yeah it is really really convincing Oh, thanks. Uh, but, you know, it was an idea that I'd wanted to do for a long time. Um, I'm actually friends with um, Bradley, the lead singer of that band. He used to be in a band called Stereogram that was signed to Capitol Records a little while ago. Um, and they had some some cachet kind of as being like the first band in an iTunes commercial. They had sort of like a, a hit single that Michelle Gondry directed the video for. And then he wanted to go and try something new. So he started this band. So he had had a history of doing like music videos that were a little bit more out there. And his band happened to be on a label in um, his home country of New Zealand who didn't really care about copyright laws very much, I guess. So, <laughs> When I pitched his idea to him, I mean, this is something I never could have done through, like, you know, Universal Records or Sony or Capital out here. When I first pitched this idea to Bradley, I was like, okay, wouldn't this be hilarious? And my pitch just was a picture of the Golden Girls with his face on all of them. <laughs> and 
and he has, he has my sense of humor and, and we, we enjoy a lot of the same like TV shows and stuff. And, um, so he instantly thought it was great. And, and I was like, well, but will your record label let us do this? Like, you know, they're totally going to get sued or something like <laughs> NBC is going to come after him. And the record label, I, I don't know, maybe they're just more lax about copyright law or something in New Zealand, but, um, it never was a problem. And the second they were like, Oh, don't worry about it. We'll, we'll handle it. If anything comes up, we were just like, okay. And, and we went for it. Um, but yeah, that was, that idea was just something I'd been kicking around for a long time. And, um, I'd always wanted to do something like that. I always thought the golden girls was a really creepy show growing up. There's just something about it. That's so weird. It's like these old people living in a bubble of pastel <laughs> and I don't know, like the stench of death is just all over that show. Oh. It's weird. Um, but you know, it was like a really, uh, the process of directing it was like so um, tedious. It was really awful. We spent an entire day. I had already picked out all the clips that I wanted to insert Bradley, the lead singer, into. And we spent an entire day with him in front of a green screen shooting every single shot in order from just the right angle as he lip syncs just the right word. And then to make it even more difficult, we shot it at like 60 frames a second, which means we're shooting it in slow motion so that um, our effects artist had more material to work with. So all day it's him, you know, like droning out syllables in front of a green screen. <laughs> and um, the first couple takes, it was like, oh, wow, this is so crazy. This is going to look awesome. And then by the end of the day, everybody was just so exhausted. And you're hearing the song get played back in like five-second increments, like really slowly. Oh, man. It was just, it was just so, um, I don't know, by the end of the day, the whole crew looked like zombies. It was really bad. But, um, you know, between that and then Dave Torno, our, our effects guy, having to, like, sit there in front of his computer literally for two months, I think, like, all of November and December of that year, that's all he worked on for us. Um, it was it was one of those things that I hope looks really fun and effortless when people watch it. But, man, I, I would never volunteer to do a video like that again. It, it does look effortless, which is the which is the great thing about it, it the the. Yeah, the Dave Dave's work or Dave Turno's work on that is is really spectacular because you're right. I have I have seen videos where it, it's pulled off not as well, and it really really takes you out of it. Um, but that sounds like a great uh, idea for a behind the scenes uh, video. It was just an like maybe like a 45 minute long video of clips of you guys just from a day, just like wanting to you know shoot yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would get a lot of hits. And. Um, <laughs> So world's saddest crew. <laughs> the uh, the last uh, video I wanted to mention is um, one that I, I believe it is the most recent one because the movie is coming out and it's unique for a number of reasons and it is the I want to make sure I get their name right here. Oh, the band is Atomic Tom. Atomic Tom, yeah. Sorry, yeah. I was floundering with my notes. Um, we're yeah, we're Atomic... the king of getting names names wrong here. Yeah, on the we're awesome at that. Um, <laughs> that was fine. Uh, yeah, so it's the video for Atomic Tom, Don't You Want Me, from the video, uh, from the movie, Take Me Home Tonight, starring the lovely Anna Faris, uh, the, I guess, lovely, if you're a girl, Topher Grace, <laughs> and some other people. Um, but it seems like a really rare and interesting opportunity because number one it's it's for a motion picture and there's a f sort of a really direct tie there and there's sort of a history of kind of making regular music videos and sort of i don't want to miss a thing 
trope where you have you know the music video, then you have clips of the movie in there, and you're also working with actors who are used to working on you know motion picture films, you know the the multi million dollar ones. So I was really interested to hear you know what your experience was with that, and and you know a would you ever do it again, and 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 b you know how you felt about the finished product. Oh man. Uh... Yeah, that video was a weird one. That was totally like a, I don't know, once every like 10 years sort of thing. Um, the Topher Grace had seen some videos that I had done, and he called me up one day, and he just said, I, we have a movie coming out. It's like a movie about the 1980s. Um, I've always wanted to do a music video that has like the whole cast from a movie, which really is like a, a very eighties thing to do. I think I still haven't seen it, but he said like the entire cast of St. Elmo's fire was in some music video one time or something like that, which would be like huge because all these giant stars. But, um, the, like he had me come up with some concepts. We, we talked about it for a little while and then we finally just ended up on this concept that he had wanted to do, I think pretty much the whole time, which was <laughs> we're going to just, parody or, or not really parody but like pay homage to as many classic 80s movies as possible in three minutes and um this was still during a time where they were trying to put together the movie's soundtrack too so to add like an additional degree of difficulty um they hadn't even picked out which band was going to play the song um and uh, Atomic Tom is like a really cool band, super nice guys. Um, they're they're kind of like an internet sensation. They they did a video um, a couple months ago that kind of put them in the spotlight, where they were like on a subway in New York, playing um, one of their out, songs. I think. Yeah, they were playing one of their songs on like iPhones. They didn't have instruments. It was just like all of them playing on iPhones. And it was totally like a really cool viral video. And um, Topher had seen it, thought they'd be perfect for it, but they didn't they didn't even have the song recorded on the day of the video shoot. Um, they were still in the process of doing that. So it was like a really difficult shoot because we didn't even know who the band was going to be until uh, like two days before we shot it. Um, but, uh, yeah, they got the whole cast of the, of the movie together to, to do all these, um, homages. And we spent, uh, probably more preparation for this music video than any music video I'd ever done before. Um, usually i mean there are times where like you'll um shoot a music video like three days after it's been approved by the record label and there's like everything's getting thrown together and it's really fast um i mean that's three days is like really really fast but you know even like it's not uncommon to shoot a music video like seven days after um you kind of you know get the paperwork and everything set in motion. So this we found out about four or five weeks before the actual shoot. And um, this was one where, you know, I was telling you guys before, like the the band's involvement usually dictates the success of the video to a certain degree. And here, like, it was Topher Grace just, like, uh, being a maniac. He was so involved in this. And he actually, he called me, like, I think on Christmas Eve, and we talked for like three hours uh, about all the 80s movies that he loved. We were compiling this list. And I was, I mean, it's incredible because like as a director, you, you definitely want like the people you're directing to be, you know, super excited about what you're doing. But I was like, wow, man, like Topher Grace is a celebrity. Like, shouldn't he be doing something like, I don't know, shouldn't he be like in Maui or something? Or Parker? <laughs> Why is he calling me on Christmas Eve? Um, Talk about like, like, 
to talk about like just like ET and stuff. <laughs> yeah, like, like man, I really uh, love yeah. ET. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. And he was getting so into it too. Like he is like a huge movie buff. Um, like he, and especially from that era too. Like he knows every line from Back to the Future and all that stuff. So we talked about it for a really long time. And then we had like multiple fittings to make sure that all the costumes were right. I mean, one of the most difficult things to do in a music video is to have like a ton of different setups. Um, this was a music video where I think we had 60 or 64 setups um, to shoot in two days. And that's just like so much to cram in there. And um, our crew did really great job I, I mean it was like a marathon just to to make the video at all was like a, a huge challenge so uh but man it couldn't have turned out better i was so excited with you know the response that it got was great i think it ended up being viewed more times online than the actual trailer of the movie which <laughs> i which is i mean totally it, it's awesome to to see something really take off like that and uh from a practical standpoint, you said you know it was kind of a slog for the for the actual shooting, and the whole thing is sort of a, a party. How do you keep that as a director? How do you keep that party atmosphere sort of going and believable? <laughs> well, that probably was the hardest. Well, no, that definitely wasn't the hardest part. But that was something that was like always in the back of our minds as we were shooting. And um, you know, one thing that I I kind of learned over the last two years, especially, um, is you know, a lot of times directors will, will sort of um, take advantage of their power and kind of yell at people and stuff. And, uh, you know, you hear stories about, like, directors throwing chairs to get the performance that they want or screaming or belittling people. And, I mean, that's totally not my style anyway. Um, but I think, you know, if you want to, like, keep up sort of a, a vibe that looks excited or happy on set i almost feel like you have to just be really really nice to people and um all day long like we were trying i I told my crew that day i was like one of my goals is to make sure that we're treating this room full of sweaty underpaid um overworked extras excited like genuinely happy to be there and and one of the coolest things about that video is when i watch it you know anytime i watch one of my videos I, it's impossible for me to separate how I felt the day of shooting. Um, and even though that was a grueling day to shoot, we still had a really great time and it was fun. Like we would set up, you know, Topher would get out there dressed up like Michael J. Fox, you know, as Marty McFly or something like that. And he would perform his take a couple different times and we'd, you know, change some things up and, and, and try out different material. And the whole time it's almost like you're performing in front of like a live studio audience because that crowd of people that's there the whole time, you know, they're giving you a genuine response. And I feel like it was so important for us to, you know, to, to, to really try to treat them well um, and, and to make sure that they're having a good time so that it wasn't a manufactured um, excitement or a manufactured joy that was kind of coming out. I, I hope not. I mean, it's a long time to, to stand in one place for, gosh, like two, two straight days or 12 hours each. Well, uh, Isaac, thank you so much for sitting down with us. This is really, really cool. Um, and if you want to check out more of, uh, or check out Isaac's video, you j- all you have to do is search for Isaac Rents uh, at the little search bar on Filmed Insert, or everything is up at uh, IsaacRents.com. And actually, Isaac, 
you have a pretty awesome distinction in that you have a Wikipedia page um, dedicated to you, which is not easy to get. So I highly recommend going to Isaac's uh, Wikipedia page and um, writing some cool stuff about him. Um, oh, man. Maybe some stuff that you've just learned in this in this very podcast. Yeah, you could you could find Wikipedia at wikipedia.com. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. podcast yeah we do that's a good idea well while we're while we're doing that why don't we do some picks over the week and actually we're recording this on saint patrick's day so it's officially picks over the week yeah that is what it is um it is picks over the week and this week adam's gonna lead us off all right let's do it my pick of the week uh this might be this is in like my top five music videos of all time because I just think this is a br- awesomely brilliant music video and I hope one day we can get the director of it on the podcast because I would love to talk to him. And the uh, music video is for MGMT's Time to Pretend and it is directed by Ray Tintor- Tintori. And um, the concept of the music video is very hard to describe because they use sort of like really lo-fi green screen effects to really great um uh to really great effect you know they'll they'll be on the beach and then they'll just do a really sort of choppy and lo-fi like green screening of the sky um there's a lot of really strange and really again lo-fi effects they're like riding cats um but anyway they're sort of like these kind of night sort of like dream world tribal people and it's actually the, the music video is where the cover from MGMT's album that the uh, song comes from is is from. So you'll recognize, you know, the, the swim trunks with the little squiggly lines on in front of it. But I like it because the, the music, the actual song time to pretend has such like an energy and this ridiculous flow to it. And I think this is the way this video is done is, is I think is one of those uh, rare music videos where it's like the only way after you after you see it it's like yeah this is the only way you can sort of capture the energy of that song with those visuals so um again it's mtmt time to pretend and the director is ray tintori that's uh that's a really great pick i'd say doug you Uh, turned me on to mgmt i love them they're fantastic you're, you're welcome i'd say um uh i'd say that it's time for my pick of the week and and uh so i'm gonna i'm gonna give it to you uh and and hopefully uh my streak of having my pick of the week be the director we interview uh in a future podcast remains true because i'm a big fan of this director and actually before i say it i i i realized that actually one of your picks of the week ended up being an interview once because uh, your pick of the week on the on the very first podcast was uh, Matt Wells. Oh, nice! And then after that, so we're pretty good at this at this thing here. 
of picking picking who we interview. Um, so my pick of the week is a music video for Lenny Kravitz, and it's uh, it's for a song called "Let Love Rule." I believe the song features justice in some way. I'm not very familiar with Lenny Kravitz uh, music. However, I am familiar with this awesome video directed by Keith Schofield. And uh, the basic concept of the video is, um, it's like, it, it, it plays like it's the last m- maybe t- 20 seconds of what would be like a 80s style action movie. And, um, and then the credits start to roll. Um, the, the very last line of the movie is, let love rule. You gotta let love rule, I think it is. And uh, then the song "Let Love Rule" begins to play, and the 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 main character of this quote movie is kind of just initially just kind of like strutting down the street as the credits roll, um, and then eventually uh, he begins interacting with the credits. He first catches his sleeve on them, and then he like starts hanging up laundry on them and like kind of crawling up them and and letting them drag him up the screen and stuff and it's kind of a really uh the whole kind of video uh, at, at first the initial concept of the video is having it be the kind of closing credits theme song of an 80s movie in itself is kind of a funny concept uh and then the fact that he's he the character is interacting with the credits it's uh it's really the effects are really cool it's really interesting and it, and it gets really uh um, really cool to watch and, and uh, see the different the different things he does with the credits and the different problems he encounters with having credits rolling across his life. Uh, so check this video out because I like it. That's an awesome, fantastic music video. I love it. And um, definitely check it out. The links will be in the show notes, uh, the blog post for this uh, filmed insert podcast, episode five. We hope you enjoy it, and uh, from Boston, from the great state of Massachusetts, and uh, Delray Beach, from the great state of Florida, we're saying goodbye, and until next week. Everyone enjoy your meals. You said the you said take me home tonight, kind of like in a Christopher Walken kind of way. You're like take me home tonight, like there was like no punctuation. Well, that's in that. This is a behind the scenes thing because I've got like 40 tabs open on Chrome on my browser, and one of them is the IMDb page for Take Me Home Tonight, and I can only see Take Me Home. Um, and I was like, take me home, and then I was like, ah, tonight, definitely. Yeah, it's definitely that, because that's an 80s song. My question is, they they remade a song for the movie that already existed. Why didn't they remake Take Me Home Tonight? That's a good question. And actually, when I was in high school, I was in two bands. One of them was called Three Nine Line. Uh, I can't believe you found that. You went back and found that in your head. Okay. Oh man, I'm not losing this time. And the other was a band called. Oh, actually, yeah, that was when I was in high school. And then I was in like this joke band kind of called Albinos in the Sun. 
and uh, Vinny was our lead singer. And it was just really me and him, but we would always, like, my brother is a, like a like solid pro, like, jazz musician. He's like an incredible musician, and he always, you know, in high school, he always had all these really fantastic musicians around. So we would, like, basically commandeer them and, and make music. Um, or make them record little bits and stuff like that. Anyway, one of the the thing, the music, I think the only track that survives of anything we did is a cover of Take Me Home Tonight. And it's actually, um, no, none of Derek's great jazz friends are on it, just so I don't, like, besmirch their good name. But I'll, <laughs> I'll play the song as, you know, as an outro to the podcast. Um, what's really great is because you've so uh, smoothly integrated the fact that I talked shit, talked shit about that other music video, not, not remaking the right song. Uh, now that all has to be in there. Thanks. No problem.